Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm excited to be joined by two guests from the fantasy football industry to conduct a 2019 rookie mock draft with the NFL draft in the rearview mirror. So let me just bring him right on. First is Tyler Guttner, uh, founder and co-host of the Dynasty HH Pod. Tyler, welcome to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Hey, what's going on, Paul? Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's actually good to be here. I uh, it, this is probably one of the podcasts that I am I, I'm I'm very excited to be on. It's a bucket list podcast. I know our other guest that we had on was another one that I was lucky to be on. I forgot how long ago it was, but it's been a while and I thought I derailed it enough to, to have it be off the podcast stream, but I didn't, I was unsuccessful. So we'll try this one. We will see what I can do with this one. All right. Absolutely. And also Shane Manila, the, from dynasty trade HQ podcast and DFF dynasty. Shane, welcome to the Saturday Sunday football podcast. Hey Paul. So yeah, I really appreciate being on. I'm going to sound like Tyler now because this was definitely one of my bucket lists. But the difference being, this is not one podcast I could ever see myself actually making it on to um, just because of the skill set. But rookie draft time, everyone knows rookies. So I could do this probably. <laughs> well, I think you guys are underestimating both yourselves. Obviously, uh, really excited to have you guys on and talk these rookies, these landing spots. I think it's a really intriguing year. Uh, I don't see a lot of value after about eight or 12 guys, like somewhere, you know, late first round to 
you know, back end of the first round, some guys maybe sneaking into round two. Obviously, league settings impacted a little bit. I know I just recently did my Dynasty Rookie Rankings pod, and even after doing it, I was, like, making changes and stuff. And I, I just don't feel real confident about the rankings. And I think that's going to kind of be, you know, most people, you know, are going to feel, I think, pretty similarly. And I think they're going to be very fluid over the next couple months. As you guys have kind of made your rankings, Tyler, I'll go to you first. Do you feel like it's something that's going to be pretty fluid over the next couple months as we kind of, you know, dig in a little deeper? We kind of get some news out of like mini camps and training camps and then obviously preseason, you know, maybe in terms of how the teams are immediately going to use them. Or you feel pretty confident that, you know, where your rankings are now, you're going to kind of stay a little pretty firm to that the rest of the offseason. Oh, no. Uh, rankings are going to be fluid. And I think they always are. Just despite the year, I know last year Barkley was pretty much cemented at number number one. But yeah, I, I mean, this year, there's going to be a lot of changes throughout the year. I know there's going to be some rece- receivers moving up. I've got a couple moving up and down. I, I've been on, I think, probably 15 to 20 times in the past two days, just changing just one or two spots here or there. So yeah, it's definitely fluid, and it will probably stay that way until – until maybe even September. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be a lot. I know most of the majority of my rookie drafts that I'm in don't take place until mid to late August. Some start early August, some in July. But it's going to be interesting because I feel like if I was drafting right now compared to where I'm going to be drafting then, I do think there's going to be a lot of movement. Shane, what about you? Have you started any rookie drafts yet? And if so, have you found yourself even during current rookie drafts from one draft to another, possibly adjusting, modifying your rankings, going with this guy in one and maybe changing it up by the time, you know, another draft starts? Well, I'm in somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10 rookie drafts um, going on in various forms. And I actually did sit down and do just a one round ranking last night, matter of fact, and I'm looking at it now and I'm not even confident in <laughs> how I feel about it. Um, just, yeah, I think there's just so much fluidity, especially like you mentioned with the wide receivers. This is going to be one of the years where I actually do pay attention in the preseason. Usually, you know, I make fun of everyone. They're like, Oh, JJ Nelson looks really good in the preseason this year. And I'm like, you guys are stupid. It doesn't matter. Except this year, I'm going to be that guy going, oh, no, no, no. DK Metcalf really did look good. I guess he is my wide receiver three now. And then as soon as Paris Campbell does something, then, you know, he'll leap them. So it's going to be fun, exciting, trying, confusing times all, all, all off season, the rest of the off season. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the wide receivers because I do think that's going to be the one. We'll probably have some interesting conversations tonight as the picks are coming in. And then obviously, I think that's going to be where it is the most movement. I think the running back top of the board is probably pretty much going to be set in stone, provided that there's no major injuries between now and, you know, training camp and preseason. I think tight end, there there could be a slight, you know, modification at the top. You know, some people might see somebody at one or, you know, the Iowa tight end. Some have fans, so have Hawkinson. Irv Smith kind of waiting in the wings. Quarterbacks, I think, are pretty set in stone with Murray followed by Haskins. But then you get to the wide receivers, and it's like put them in a bag, shuffle them up, and and, and come up with any order you want. And I think there's justification and and there's rationale to basically have a whole bunch of different ways that we can rank that wide receiver board. So let's get right into it tonight. 
We're going to do a rookie mock draft. We're not even putting a, we're never going to put a set amount. We'll see how long we go. It's going to be at least two rounds. Maybe we'll do a rapid fire third round to close out the night. We'll kind of see, you know, if there's anybody, you know, really excited to make any more picks after two rounds. We're going to do one quarterback. So it's, we're not going to do super flex, but obviously we're going to do PPR and we'll go there. Uh, Tyler, we're going to let you kick it off. Shane, you're going to be two and then me, and then we'll just keep rotating. Tyler, we'll go back to you for four and so on and so forth. So Tyler, you're on the clock. 1.01. Where are you going? <clears throat> so this to me is a pretty easy pick. I know they just signed a veteran off the streets, but it, it's going to be Josh Jacobs. He, he, I feel is going to be a three down back. He's going to get 240, 250 carries or, or touches. I should say this year. He's going to be a running back to uh, maybe a lower end, mid, mid running back two, with a chance at being even a low end running back one. I don't know if I said tight end, but running back one. But uh, yeah, he he seems like a slam dunk at one on one. I know we've had him. Uh, some people have had him there throughout the offseason, but the first round draft pick uh, and landing in a prime spot where he's going to get it playing time right away helped out a ton. So it's Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Josh Jacobs was the guy who was my RB one before the draft happened. He now has the landing spot. He now has the draft capital attached to him. So I think Jacobs is the clear guy. I think Gruden envisions him being a workhorse back for him. So in this day and age in the NFL, that workhorse back could be 18 touches total, you know, rushing, receiving, you know, he's not a guy who's carried the ball 25, 30 times a game in college. He obviously was a part of a committee there. Obviously, Damian Harris, a guy we'll talk about later. He was the starter for most of the year and Jacob's working in towards the latter part of the year. Jacob's kind of took over uh, in terms of total touches, but I think he's an electrifying player. Reminds me of a combo of Alvin Kamara and, and then physicality and toughness of Mark Ingram. So obviously I love the pick. He'd be the guy. Shane, you're on with the 1.02. Would Jacobs have been your 1.01? No, no. So, uh, so this is kind of exciting. So now I'm ex- interested to hear where you go with the 1.02. Well, now I'm second guessing myself because I, <laughs> I was thinking I was going to have to choose between Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders. And I was all ready to work out that debate in my head. I'm going to go ahead and take Harry. Um, to me, I actually feel like Harry's the, the safest uh, slam dunk pick in this draft. So I think... Tyler's wrong. Now, if they do give Josh Jacobs tight end eligibility too, though, um, that that would be huge because the Raiders don't have any tight ends on the roster right now. They're not any good. So, Shane, uh, the last receiver drafted in the first round by New England, take a guess what year? Terry Glenn in 1996. Yeah. And I went back and looked at actual the actual receivers they drafted, like drafted. And I think they had two that hit. But we're talking about guys like Malcolm Mitchell, guys like Braxton Berrios. Typically, they don't invest any capital into wide receivers because, one, they know they're going to trade for a short white guy off of someone's team or they're going to convert a a quarterback and turn him into one of the best slot receivers of all time. So So Jared Stidham. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Look, there you go. He's their next slot receiver, so he'll be catching passes from Brady when he's in his, you know, Brady will be in his fifties. But just you know, Harry's got his situation's perfect too. I mean, yeah, Brady's going to move on at some point. I've given up on 
assuming that it's going to be next year or the next year at this point. I just assume he'll play until he physically can't walk anymore. Um, there's a ton of targets there available. I keep hearing, you know, that, oh, Josh Gordon could be reinstated. Well, even if he is, I'm not counting on Josh Gordon for more than three games, and I'm not counting on him to be there long term. Harry's just easily the best wide receiver in the draft. Um, he's got the first round capital. I know it was the 32nd pick or whatever, but it still counts. It's still that first round draft capital, which matters when you look at the hit rates. Um, he's just, you know, he's just a great receiver and he's in a really good situation. He would have looked better, you know, in a couple other spots, but that's certainly not a bad spot to land. Tyler, is Harry your number one wide receiver on your board? Yeah, he is. And, there, I actually am going to go into my rankings and switch it up because once we kind of get through the first couple picks, I will let you know what I am feeling now that I've done some rookie drafts and, and thought about trading around. So, yeah, it's it's gotten some moving and shaking already. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Harry Harry's number one on, on my board as well at the wide receiver. It's close, though, for me. And at some point, I'll probably – you know, go into it once if I get a player that is in the conversation for me. The one thing about Nikhil Harry, I think he's a great player. I have some concerns about separation quickness at times, but body control, physicality, toughness, winning at the catch point reminds me a lot of an Alshon Jeffrey type player or Des Bryant type player. The thing that is a little bit concerning to me is I don't know, and I mentioned this on my previous podcast and, and probably some other places over the weekend, I feel like his best years may come post Tom Brady. And it's such a baffling statement to say that somebody could be better once they lose arguably one of the greatest wide uh, quarterbacks ever. I just, you know, for what they do, the, you've always heard for years that the receivers have a very hard time learning the routes. And that, and that's not just even rookies. It's even sometimes when veterans are brought in there. You always hear the Patriots offense is very complex. You know, it's very hard for wide receivers to pick up. Well, I don't think Nikhil Harry's got this really refined route tree coming from Arizona State. He just kind of dominated with his size and physicality and and in the Pac-12, that was ideal. So it's going to be interesting to me. I think like they're going to rely so much still on the running back, on Julian Edelman, that I just wonder how much comfort Brady eventually has in Nikhil Harry. Does he does he spread the ball around so much that that Harry's just a bit piece? Or because, as Shane was saying, the, the the spot is obviously huge. I mean, they've lost Rob Gronkowski. They don't have another real legitimate wide receiver. Does that just kind of push targets Nikhil Harry's way? I think that's the question that that's unable to be answered right now in terms of how quickly he becomes a, a, a force in the fantasy community. I think that's going to be one to follow closely. I think going back to what we said before, listening to those ridiculous rookie mini camp reports, training camp reports. I think hearing about Harry and if there's anything about him picking up the playbook and, you know, him and Brady working together and, and, and Brady really looking at him a lot and like, you know, seven on seven and 11 on 11 team drills. I think that's going to be interesting because I think that's going to go a long way in seeing how quickly he kind of, you know, transitions here. So, I'll keep this going. 1.03. I'm on the clock. I'm taking Miles Sanders. Philadelphia, I think, is a, a deal landing spot. They came out over the weekend and said, 
yeah, we've been a little bit more of a committee-based approach here, but we've never had a three-down running back like Miles Sanders, and I agree with that assessment. Jay Ajayi was never that. Corey Clement is not that. So I do think Miles Sanders has a chance has a chance to to develop into a three-down player there. I don't think they're going to kind of just completely stop using the other guys. I, I think that's just kind of, you know, in Doug Peterson's DNA that he wants a lot of guys involved. But I do think Miles Sanders is going to be a guy who doesn't get 12 to 13 touches a game. I think he lives more in that 16 to 18. And if a running back's getting 16, 18 touches in that opportunity, you know, that's pretty much a bell cow in today's NFL. You only have the rare guys, you know, the Saquons, the the Zeeks, you know, who, you know, pretty much could be penciled in for like that 20 to 23 every single week. But I like Miles Sanders game. He was my number three running back pre-draft based on talent, only with Rodney Anderson up at two. But obviously, I understood the Anderson issue with the injuries and durability was going to push him down the draft boards as it did. But I like Sanders' overall game. He doesn't have a lot of wear and tear. I like the athleticism. He's got some power and physicality. At times, he tries to be Saquon Barkley and do a little bit too much dancing behind the backfield. He's got to be a little bit more decisive and just get into, his, you know, follow his tacklers and make his move. But I, I'm intrigued by that landing spot there because I do think they're going to have a good offense. So if he, and I do think he can be a guy who catches, you know, 35, 40 passes. I don't think he's going to be a, a huge receiving component, but I do think he's capable of eventually being a, a running back that can catch 35, 40 passes. So Tyler, I, I know I almost, you know, I, I saw literal steam coming out of your ears when I mentioned Corey Clement's <laughs> name. Uh, do you have some concerns that Miles Sanders is not going to take control and seize that backfield? Uh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to have Sanders at two or three now overall in my, in my rankings, just looking at drafts and just how people value running backs and the, just even that opportunity to be a three down running back, it, the value of that player is just crazy like i mean shane we are in pigs three auction and there's three running backs that are going for a ton of money like more money than i actually thought they'd go for and it's just because of the three down back factor that's what everybody's chasing in fantasy people want the next three down running back the next cream hunt style you know the the second or third rounder that turns into that stud running back people are chasing that now instead of that oda beckham receiver they want that three down running back instead and that is what's making these players value so high. And that's what people are chasing in fantasy now. And that's what I would like too. do you guys both have Sanders ahead of, obviously I mentioned his name. He's going to come up sooner rather than later. Do we all have Sanders ahead of Montgomery? And if so, is it partially because of that potential three down component? We know Tariq Cohen's kind of locked in there in Chicago to be the receiving back. Is that the differential between them in, in your guys' eyes? Shane, I'll start with you. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I'm not really that concerned about Tariq Cohen. I think he's going to see pretty steep progression. And I thought that before they drafted Montgomery, I think Sanders is just a physically more talented running back than David Montgomery. I know David Montgomery set the records for, you know, miss most forced missed tackles over the last two years or whatever. Um, but I think Sanders is just a, a, a better physical back. And I think he's a better running back. Um, I think I, I like Montgomery at one point, you know, I had one of my avatars was David Montgomery and then he went to the combine and that quickly came down. Um, 
But I just think Sanders one is a much better, not much better running back, but a better running back. And I do think, honestly, the situation is, even though I think Terry Cohen's going to regress, it is still a better situation because every running back on the Eagles roster, except for Boston Scott and Donnell Pumphrey, who probably won't make the roster, um, their contracts expire after this year. So it's going to be Sanders. Um, living in Philadelphia, you get to you know read the beat writers, and you know which guys are plugged into the team and getting sh- information from the team and their stories. And when you keep seeing stories about how the Eagles don't particularly want to be a rotation back team, they kind of just worked with what they have. You realize, yeah, Sanders is going to be the main guy with hopefully Corey Clement getting some spot duty because uh, you know I was big on that Clement train a couple years ago last year, the year before to Tyler. So I feel your pain there. Yeah. So Tyler, you're up with the 1.04. If you have anything to add about Miles Sanders over David Montgomery, feel free to, if not go right into 1.04. It's David Montgomery. It's another running back. It's the, the potential for a three down running back. I like the landing spot. I'd probably say Sanders is two a and Montgomery's is two B. I like their, the landing spots, both, Montgomery's is prime. I could just see him doing work in Soldier's Field. He just seems like he's a bear, a guy that is going to come in and they're going to want to give the ball 15, 20 times a game and just just keep that clock, keep control of it, let that defense just pound the offense and just keep running the ball with Montgomery. He fits perfect. I love the landing spot. I've Snagged them up in a couple of leagues. I'm very happy about it. So, yeah, give me Montgomery at 104 over any of the wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Montgomery, you guys both outline Montgomery's game. I don't know if I don't know if I agree with Terry Cohen's role and usage minimizing. I, I think that they I think he's going to still get his. Uh, looks because he adds a dynamic element, especially in the receiving game. But I do think. Montgomery is eventually going to seize control of the early down work and the goal line work. I do wonder though how immediate it's going to be. They did give Mike Davis a three-year contract. Not that that means he's going to be there for multiple years, but I do think it means he's going to see a little bit of work this year. They obviously, with no first or second round pick, didn't know that they were going to be able to get the running back that of their choice if he was one of their guys that they were okay on investing in and 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 making sure they got him. He could have obviously went earlier. So I I do think they were protecting themselves with Mike Davis. So I could see them wanting to at least say we get something out of our free agent acquisition. So I do think this year there could be a little bit of, you know, Mike Davis kind of sprinkled in, but I kind of feel like he's not too long, you know, for their roster that I wouldn't be stunned if by next year he's not there. And then Montgomery is clearly getting like 70% of the rushing work. Uh, But I still expect to see Cohen be a factor there. So I think that, for me, why I have Sanders ahead of Montgomery, but I do like Montgomery. He's in my top five overall. So I think this is, you know, where he's probably going to go off the board on most drafts. So Shane, you're up 1.05. All right. Well, I guess this is where uh, some people will call this take lock, but I, I still think he's the second best wide receiver in the class. So I'm going to take AJ Brown here, regardless of the uh, less than ideal landing spot. Uh, I'm going to, hope that by the Titans drafting him, they're signaling like, Hey, we're going to throw the ball a lot more this year. We're going to move all the way up to like 20th and pass attempts this year. 
Um, and you know, there, there is the fact that if Mariota stinks again this year, well, they're going to move on. Um, and the whole quarterback situation will change. The head coaching could change, you know, quickly if it falls apart. Um, I do worry about Corey Davis being there. Adam Humphreys is already there. It's a lot of mouths to feed when you consider that they only threw the ball 440 times last year, but I'm going to hold on to the talent and base my pick off that and hope that the situation comes around sooner rather than later. Like not like a Robert Woods situation, six years down the road, hopefully in two, three years, Brown will be what, what I thought he was going to be coming into the draft. Yeah. I mean, this is a pick a hundred percent based on investing in the talent and the player. I remember when I was on your show, Matt and I months ago at this point, we talked a lot about AJ Brown and how much we were fans of his game. He, he stayed steady as my 1.01 wide receiver. He was my number one wide receiver, you know, through most of the pre-draft process. Once he kind of leapfrogged Calvin Harmon, you know, back in like January, February, when I rewatched this year, and I love the player. I mean, the landing spot is about as bad as you can really dial one up. And, and you kind of outlined it from run-heavy offense, quarterback that, you know, just does not look like he potentially could be a franchise-caliber quarterback, investing significant money in Adam Humphreys to play the slot, which I think is where A.J. Brown is at his best, and, you know, Corey Davis there as well. I'm intrigued by where people stand. I don't do a great job kind of keeping my radar on what the overall dynasty community. I think you guys probably do a much better job in that. Where, where are people looking at AJ Brown and Corey Davis now? Is it one of those things where Corey Davis is going to start coming back to a little bit more realistic, you know, ranges? Because I remember seeing last year, Corey Davis ridiculously high and I was stunned to see him that high. I know he had his fans, but, you know, coming off his rookie year, I was surprised at how high he was. What's your guys take personally? And maybe just, you know, in terms of the community, do you think this is still Corey Davis way up there and AJ Brown way below him? Or is that margin narrowing and, and getting pretty small? Tyler, I'll start with you. I'd say in the dynasty community, it's a perfect time to actually go get Corey Davis. I think people are very low on him after this, but he had a pretty good year if you look with all the quarterback stuff that happened, Mariota with the, the tingly fingers and just it seemed like he Corey Davis couldn't stay healthy either. And he had a pretty decent year. It's his third year coming up, and we all remember wide receivers take three years. We got spoiled with that 2014 class, and I still think we are expecting like, oh, they have to ultimately become studs right away. I want it now. They have to be wide receiver one now. It has to happen. Otherwise, they're done. So I think Corey Davis is a good buy. And I would say, despite them being pretty close, their skill sets are very different. Corey Davis is uh, a bigger a bigger receiver that I think is a little more explosive. And A.J. Brown is that possession guy. Kind of, It's almost like a, I, I won't compare them, but like an Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald style. Like uh, Anquan Bolden is A.J. Brown, and Larry Fitzgerald is that dynamic receiver, which... um. Corey Davis is so I, I think Corey Davis hate has been really high and it's a good time to go get him 
Yeah, I mean, and that's an intriguing thought to kind of buy low now if people are questioning Corey Davis because the acquisition of A.J. Brown, because bringing in another, you know, competent wide receiver in Adam Humphreys. I do wonder, though, if some of that, I like Corey Davis. I wasn't as high as other people when he came into the league. I didn't think he had any business being a top 10 NFL pick, but that was that whole class. I thought him... John Ross and Mike Williams all should have been guys in like the 20 to 40 range and not the top 10. I do wonder though, if the top 10 draft pick is still carrying some of people's hope of him being an elite level wide receiver at the next level. Shane thoughts on that in general, or just thoughts on Corey Davis dynasty value compared to AJ. Yeah. Just, just on the draft capitals still only going into his, that will will be his third season, right? Yeah, third season. Yes, yeah. so I, I know. I still cling on to that, and I, I won't even lie. When whenever I get into debates on Twitter with people, and they're like, "Well, he sucks," and blah blah blah, and I'm like, "Well, listen, he was a top ten, uh, top you know, top ten draft pick. He dealt with a, a quarterback that couldn't feel his arm. Like you, you don't know what that's like dealing with a quarterback that literally cannot feel his arm trying to throw you the ball. Um, and you know, his offensive schemes just haven't been very conducive, which. Begs the question, why did they draft him in an offense that was built to be run first? But, you know, whatever. That, that's a whole other subject, and NFL teams aren't that bright. Um, yeah, it's a great time to buy low on him. People were already giving up on him anyway before the A.J. Brown pick. And now people are looking at this as A.J. Brown is not a compliment, but as a replacement for him, which I – I, I guess, but I don't really think that's what it is. Um, I think they just drafted the best player on the, you know, that they could have. And they saw what their wide receiver core was last year. It was terrible. Um, they tried to address it with Corey Davis and Ty- Taiwan Taylor. And they had uh, Richard, uh, don't even remember his name. I, he, the guy that quit um, in the middle of the season. Richard Matthews. Yeah, there you go. So it just, it didn't work out. So now, you know, they're, they're still trying to replenish that wide receiver room. And now they've, three solid wide receivers. I think if Mariota can just stay healthy, they just throw the ball. Even if they can get to the 20th most attempts in the league, both of them can be fantasy relevant. It's going to probably take a couple of years for AJ Brown to really hit. And I think at this point, I'm actually lowering my expectations on Corey Davis. If he can just be a mid tier wide receiver too, I, I, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's more where his value, the wide receiver position has a lot of elite level players. I think maybe expecting top 12, top 14, top 16 might be unrealistic, especially now with the acquisition of A.J. Brown, Humphreys, a run first offense. But if he produces that mid or, you know, mid wide receiver two, even low end wide receiver two, but more consistent, I think fantasy owners would take that. And Tyler brought up a good point about that year three. We always are used to hearing that he did come from a small level school. So I think that's another thing that, you know, I understand we've seen people make a, you know, that transition from Saturdays to Sundays in terms of playing from college to the NFL level, but he was playing for, you know, Western Michigan for him. It's a big jump up. He was not used to going up against NFL defensive backs in terms of physicality, athleticism, strength, and toughness. So I do think there's a little bit of a learning curve and a little bit of a learned development there. And I think this year you might see him start to, you know, 
fine tune that skill a little bit. And then if Mariota can stay healthy and now another wide receiver drawing some attention, all of that could, you know, benefit him. It'd be a fun thing to watch there closely. So I'm up with the 1.06. I think even the 1.05 after Montgomery, I think it's really now, you know, each person has their own flavor that they kind of like. I'm going with Debo Samuel here. I've talked about before not being 100% sold on Nikhil Harry as my first wide receiver. And that's because to me, I don't have a big distinction uh, between him and Debo Samuel. Nikhil Harry was my sixth ranked wide receiver before the draft. Debo Samuel was my fifth ranked wide receiver before the, before the draft. So I like Debo Samuel's talent and versatility a little bit more than Nikhil Harry. I, I admit that his upside's not as high as a Harry, but I like Samuel. I've compared him to a combination of Jarvis Landry in terms of his body size and physicality, but also the versatility and, and at times play speed and explosiveness of like a DJ Moore guy. I love the landing spot. I had two landing spots I ideally wanted. Debo to San Francisco was one of them. A.J. Brown, who we just talked about, to the Colts was my other dream scenario. We would be much happier about A.J. Brown right now, and he would probably be my clear-cut consensus, you know, first wide receiver if he ended up with the Colts. But Debo Samuel in San Francisco, I like Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think him and Dante Pettis could both become wide receiver two-slash-threes in time. You know, even with Kittle there, I think there'll be enough to go around. I, I'm not expecting Samuel right out of the gate. I think this year Pettis will probably be, you know, a wide receiver three and Debo maybe like a wide receiver four, you know, something like that. But I do think in the long run, Debo could develop into their number one wide receiver there. So I'm, I'm excited about the landing spot. And also part of this is just being excited about the player pre-draft. At this point, I'm taking opportunity and landing spot into consideration but I just was a gen. I was a big fan of Samuel before, so I think some people are going to think this is really high. Uh, you guys included, possibly. But I think it's partially where some people had him pre-draft. Now post-draft, I like the landing spot, so that kind of puts him here for me. So thoughts on Debo? Do you guys think this is way early, a little bit early, or kind of appropriate? So Tyler, I'll start with you. I I know we talked. I what was it Saturday, and I told you I wasn't too big of a fan. Well, I'm I'm warming up to it. I know he was the third receiver taken in the draft, and that speaks volumes. And then you look at the offense and Shanahan. And I'm an Atlanta fan, so I know what Shanahan can do to an offense. So that's kind of pushed me in the direction, like okay, maybe Debo can be be kind of a box score guy, you know rack up catches and, and yards and yeah he might not have the double digit touchdowns but in ppr he's gonna get those points so i actually took him in the league yesterday first first time taking him in the league and i feel okay about it and uh i think it was because of you talking me into it <laughs> so i've kind of reevaluated and kind of looked at my rankings and yeah i'm i mean the nfl team's and the interest they showed in Debo, you heard it all around the NFL before in pre-draft. And then San Francisco taking them early, like that speaks volumes. We like the NFL knows more than I do. So I need to pay attention to them as well and kind of reevaluate my decision and why I wasn't too big of a fan, which I think was more injury. So I I mean, if he can stay healthy, yeah, he's gonna dominate the stat sheet. 
Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I I do really, like I said, ideal landing spot. Shane, thoughts on Debo? Appropriate range or a little bit further down the board for you? Honestly, with wide receivers at this point, after A.J. Brown, it's all, <laughs> you know what? You like that guy? Sure. You know what I mean? Paris Campbell, uh, Jaws, or, you know, J.J. Arcega Whiteside, D.K. Metcalf, look, whatever you're looking for. Like he he does seem like he's going to be a guy that like Tyler's saying if he stays on the field, um, he should get peppered with targets. I don't think he's a spectacular player, but it doesn't matter what I think because San Francisco does. So yeah, they're going to pepper him with targets, and he might be a guy that puts up Jarvis Landry like type numbers for a couple seasons. Um, and it, I mean, me personally, as soon as he does that once, I'm out. But you know <laughs> what I mean? I get it. Because even one, you know, even look one uh, one season of hitting for a rookie pick is a good thing. So, you know, I'd cash out at that point, but I, I, I can't be mad at it. I, I've given up on the wide receivers at this tier and just decided that I'm going another way. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, it's like pick a brand of toilet paper you want to use. It doesn't matter what brand, but if it gets the job done, who cares what brand it is, right? Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> I, I, I will I will say one thing. That's a little bit, little bit concerning. We always talk about running back talent. I know I talk about a lot. Like, is he just an average skill set or slightly above average that wouldn't prevent the NFL teams from investing the following year? You know, in a much more talented player. There's going to be a running back. We we talk about a little bit later today that that I'm going to use that analogy for. My only concern about investing this high of a pick in Debo Samuel is. The 49ers have invested a lot of first-round picks on the defensive side of the ball. Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, I like both of them. They're both second-round wide receivers. I don't think it takes them out of the possibility, though, with next year's wide receiver class potentially having some legitimate alpha-type wide receiver one types. I don't think Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel necessarily 100% would say – the 49ers, especially with Kyle Shanahan and what he wants. I don't think it takes them out of the running for potentially investing an early round pick next year and even a first round pick after all these years of picking defense. So that's the one thing. They're both really intriguing players, but they also have slot and outside capabilities. So it's not like they couldn't invest another early round pick, even a first round pick in a wide receiver to kind of expand their, you know, their depth chart out and then kick Pettis or Samuel into the slot. So that's my only fear that they could go back to the well next year. And if they were to invest a first round pick in a wide receiver, that would obviously dampen Debo Samuel's statistical outlook, you know, and Dante Pettis, but a year away, not going to put too much stock into that in terms of making decisions right now in the moment. So Tyler, Paul, just real quick. I, I don't think, and I mean, I would hope no one's drafting him thinking he's going to be the, the long-term alpha wide receiver one there. So even just going in with those expectations, like, you know, maybe he gets 80 receptions for 800 yards and eight touchdowns. All right, well, that's still, you know, depending on the season, that's a low-end wide receiver two or a wide receiver three. Like, they are useful. I'm, And you can only draft what's available to you. You know what I mean? Like, this year, unless you're training out your picks, you, you got to draft someone. So you might as well draft someone you think is going to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's not high-end, you know, at least it's still consistent. 
Yeah, and and, and I think I think he's one of the safer wide receivers. Like I don't think I don't envision a, a season in Debo Samuel's career where he's putting up twelve, thirteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns. Like I don't think if someone's investing in in him and thinking that that's a possible outcome, I think they're going to be disappointed. There's a, there's a couple other wide receivers that you know we haven't even talked about yet. That is that in their repertoire, sure, but so is thirty catches, you know, and barely making a high level impact. So I think it's really you know what people are looking for so tyler you're on the clock at 1.07 and if the other night when we did our podcast i have a pretty strong inclination of where you're going with this pick let's see if i'm right in my inclination Uh, i feel like you probably are and it's tj hawkinson uh the first tight end off the board i think he's probably one of the safest players to take in rookie drafts uh, with the tight end position really needing a boost in talent and fantasy, I think TJ Hawkinson and the other, the other two guys are coming to save the day. Hawkinson, I think is going to be the safer one. You already heard the Lions say he's going to be our starter. Of course, you spent the eighth overall pick on him. He's going to start. And I, it, it kind of, I know the other night we talked about how Ebron didn't work. Well, he's not Ebron. He's a different type of player. That's a different offense. That's a different regime you got to look at tj hawkinson in a different light and i think they're going to use him in the red zone big time he's going to be he could be an eight to ten touchdown guy year one yeah he maybe he gets 600 yards or so but they're going to use him kind of like how they use him in iowa so i like tj hawkinson just for the safeness and just seeing him being able to progress from year to year until he hits that what i feel is a top five tight end ceiling yeah, I'm with there. Hawkinson, during the live draft, I flip-flopped multiple times between Hawkinson and Fant as I was doing my rankings live. You know, in between my tweeting, I was also updating my board, and I had Hawkinson first, then I had Fant, then I had Hawkinson. Eventually, I settled on Hawkinson because I liked his film a little bit more. I like his ability to block substantially more, which means he's going to be on the field more often. You know, it does have the other way you could look at that as his blocking could be so good that, you know, it hinders how much opportunity, you know, he potentially can have in receiving. But I I like the overall player. I've said for months now that he reminds me of a more athletic version of Hunter Henry. And I'm a big Hunter Henry fan. You know, I know some people have put the Gronk and George Kittle expectations. I'm not ready to put that on just about anybody yet. I get why. So I like Hawkinson. He's my number one tight end. So let me transition this over to to Shane. Shane, is Hawkinson your tight end one? If not, maybe explain why not. And then you can go right into your pick at 1.08 as well. Well, clearly it's Irv Smith, right? Um, no, Noah Fant. I mean, Noah Fant reminds me of Evan Ingram, except better. And Evan Ingram was an absolute stud in his rookie season. And Noah Fant, physically at least, comps to George Kittle. And I think he will be a top tight end. Like, I expect him to be a top three tight end within the next two seasons. Um, I, I understand Hawkinson's a more complete tight end. He's a better blocker, blah, 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 blah. But they don't give you points for blocking yet in fantasy. Um, and once they do, I'm out. Um, I, I can see Fant, Fant's the type of tight end that can easily put up 80 
receptions, 1,100 yards, and 14 touchdowns. The dude is just a mismatch. Like, there's no linebacker, and I doubt many cornerbacks that can cover him. Like, he is just a – he's a monster. Um, Devin only White down- for Tampa might be able to, but other than that, yeah, you're slim pickings for, ty- uh, for linebackers that can cover him. Yeah. Devin White might be the only one. <laughs> All right, and I don't know how often they're going to play, but it's not 16 times yeah. a, a season. Um, so there's probably one or two that can cover him and they're not, you know, broken plays happen. Like just, he's just such a complete physical freak that when he was given the chances, I, you know, it's interesting. I'd love to have seen what him and Hawkinson could have done without each other in college. If they were different schools, um, that would have been incredible. Um, and, anyway, and on, and on a team that actually brewed a ball a little we, bit more. Yeah. I, that, Iowa that is. Yeah, I mean, even if you look back at Kittle's stats when he was in college, and that's why everybody missed on him, was because they're like, oh, well, he had 500 yards receiving. Well, that's because they had 3,000 yards total, and they were a terrible, you know, terrible offense. But I'm not making that mistake with Fant. Now, Fant's going to be a, a top-two tight end within the next two seasons. I think Hawkinson's very good, and he might even be the best overall tight end in the league in five years, but he's not going to put up the, the fantasy stats that Fant is, I don't believe. Now, with that glowing recommendation of Noah Fant, is he your pick at the oh, yes. 08? <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. And this is the range where if someone had taken Fant, I would think about taking Hawkinson here because of how the receivers feel. But yes, definitely Fant right here for me. I, I've already outlined it. He's got Flacco for at least this year. Maybe Drew Locke after that, who's a baby Flacco, I guess. I, I don't know. But whatever. I love Drew Locke. I whatever, love Drew Locke, so. I, I loved him a lot more until the Denver traded away from him. Then, you know, they traded back so they didn't have to draft him, then drafted a tight end instead of him. And then when they came up again and they're like, all right, you're still here. I guess we have to draft you. Yeah, um, not, a, not a lot of conviction on, on Denver's part yeah. for Drew Locke. I mean, you yeah. could say you could say they played the board perfectly. But that is, I think, doing them. I think that's a little bit, you know, unrealistic. They had absolutely no idea that nobody was going to take him. You know, listen, we'll probably we'll talk about my future quarterback, you know, for the New York Giants at some point tonight, <laughs> potentially, maybe not. But at least, as silly of a move it was, at least no one could question the Giants having a conviction about the guy. But no, no, they are all in, and they made it known. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, listen, I like Locke as a player. I actually wanted Locke on the Giants, you know, over Jones. You know, I wanted Haskins more, but I would have been totally content with I wouldn't even have been that mad if Drew Locke was to pick at six, to be honest with you. I do like the player there. I I will say this about Noah Fan, and then I'll go into my 1.09 peg. I love his upside. I think he's got as much upside to be that guy that you're talking about. I am a little nervous, though about how quickly we can get there and what the disparity between floor and ceiling is because I feel like a lot of people put really high expectations on David Njoku coming out of college. And to me, Noah Fan is a little bit more like him in terms of his actual receiving ability. I think you, you made the comp to Evan Ingram. Athletically, I think he, he's more like Evan Ingram or Vernon Davis or whoever you want to pick. He's a freak athlete. But I do think there's some growth and development that still need to happen in terms of his route running, his understanding how to win routes, where he's not going to 
let's be face it. You talked about, I don't think he's going to be matched up too often with linebackers. I think defensive, I think defensive coordinators are going to realize that that's going to scream mismatch that I think he's going to get a lot of versatile cover safeties, nickel corners, straight cornerbacks at sometimes when teams are playing in sub packages. So I don't think he's always going to be able to out athletic those type of players. And I think that's some of the issues David Njoku's had in terms of learning the route refinement component. And that's why it took him, you know, as long as it has, and he didn't play 80% of his snaps year one, he played like 55% of his snaps and set the valve played like 45. So I think it's going to be interesting there. If Denver just asks him to do the things he's really good at, I think we could see that immediate production, but that's going to be fascinating one to watch. We know Flacco loves it. I'm not sold on any of the wide receivers in Denver. So there is a lot of opportunity there for Noah fan. So I, I just thought of this too. Um, the AFC West has a lot of good safeties. I mean, you think Derwin James is going to be on him? Uh, okay. Um, the other really Tyron, Ma- Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew just signed with the Chiefs. And then the Raiders just drafted a guy in the first round who is just a amazing all-around safety. I forgot his name. but Abram. Abram, yes. He is a, he's a big hitter, but also can cover... It has decent speed. So, yeah, I mean, Fant, he could have a hard time in division alone. So, I'll tell you what, though, but Fant, see, the thing I like about Fant, though, is obviously he does have the speed and athleticism. And Tyrone Matthews, four foot eight, roughly. Actually, four <laughs> foot seven. Four foot seven, something like that. Yeah. So, you know what? They want to stick Tyrone Matthew on him all day. Well, then fine. I'm throwing jump balls to him, or I'll just get it to him early and let him just absolutely destroy Tyrone Matthew. Like, he's a great hitter, but when you're giving up, you know, twice your body mass, it's like running into a brick wall. And, you know, it's all conjecture. But um, <laughs> but when Paul said, you know, like, I, he hopes that they use him – at what he's good at. Like the Giants actually did something very good with Evan Ingram in his rookie year. That's how they used him. They said, all right, you know what he's really good at? He's a wide receiver. Let's use him that way. Um, as opposed to the Browns being the Browns, um, you know, with Hugh Jackson and going, oh, no, 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 no. You need to learn how to do absolutely everything before you can get on the field for us because, you know, we, we need you to be a complete player on this 0-16 team for you to make an impact. Yeah, and no, and, and listen – no offense, got the size that should make him an adequate blocker, but he's not there yet. So, like, Denver mm-hmm. shouldn't go in with unrealistic expectations. Put him in motion, put him detached, put him in the slot, and let him do what you drafted him for. You didn't draft him at 20 to sit there and try to, you know, spring a hole for, you know, Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman to get, you know, to get to the outside. Sure, maybe in space he's a fine blocker, but don't ask him to line up too often in line and ask him to do that. It, for the, for Iowa, he was able to get away with it because he could do that. He could line up in line and then still get out in his breaks and his routes because he was just so much faster than anybody covering him. So that, that'll be a fun one to watch. I'm up with 1.09, and this is a guy who we talked about right before we went on air that I'm all in on. I could even take him higher than this, and, and I think he's a guy who's going to rise. I know some people are all in, and other people are saying this is gross and disgusting, but I'm taking Nicole Hardman, Kansas City. I think he is the perfect schematic replacement for Tyree Kill, and I use that word because I don't want to sit here and say he's going to put up Tyree Kill's stats. I mean, that is, that's not fair to put on anybody, but the creativity – 
and the usage that Andy Reid created for Tyree Kill, I think he's the perfect replacement for that that he can do the jet sweeps the screens he can get vertical you can use him you know make plays after the catch he's going to be very difficult you know for corners to cover one-on-one if he gets off the line of scrimmage that's obviously he's still got to learn the nuances of being a receiver as well because obviously you know opportunity at Georgia was very spread out but I love the upside and the playmaking ability so there's a lot of other guys I can pivot to right here that are safer that are I kind of know what I'm getting but I think at this point, I'm willing to shoot for the really high upside, attach myself to Patrick Mahomes, attach myself to Andy Reid and that offense, and I'm willing to gamble on Mikol Hardman. Thoughts, guys? I know not. I know just from briefly talking before we went on air, you guys weren't as feeling him as, as much as me. Is it just the concern that he's not a route runner, that he's too much of a gadget guy, that they're that they're gonna pivot and and you know go more towards Sammy Watkins and just spread it out. What are what are the biggest concerns? Tyler, I'll start with you. I going back to his college days, I mean you're getting beat out by Riley Ridley and Terry Godwin, and I don't think those two are very good. I know he was a five star recruit, ultra talented guy coming out of high school, but I, you're not beating out Terry Godwin or Riley Ridley in college. I, that worries me. And I just, I watched some tape again today and I'm just like, okay, what am I missing? Is there something that I'm not seeing? And it's just a bigger Tavon Austin to me. And that, that worried me. Like uh, he's a guy that yes, he can, he could maybe grow into something. And I mean, he landed in the right spot. The Chiefs will use him like they need to. But I feel like Tyreek Hill had the route running. He could go up and get the ball. And with Hardman a couple times, it just seemed like he was soft. Like when he had the chance to go up and get it, he just he seemed like to go away from the ball. He didn't want to to kind of get that physicality like Tyreek Hill didn't care. Tyreek Hill just jumped in the air and said, okay, I may be short, but I can get up there just right with you and I'm going to get that ball. At Hardman, I didn't see that mentality in Georgia. And I maybe like I said, maybe he's a better NFL player than he was a college player. I hope so. I hope he succeeds. But the Chiefs really took a gamble with this pick. And I I don't know. I might back away from that gamble. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I do think you bring up a good point about at the catch point. That's where his game is a little bit different uh, than than Tyree Kill. I will say this, though. We were kind of talking before about, you know, I think, Tyler, it was you saying, you know, the 49ers drafted Debo Samuel really high and, like, that. there's some merit to that. For whatever, you know, obviously reports post-draft, you know, are very, you know, you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. But I do remember before the second night started, before round two started, there was a lot of rumors that the Jets were trying to make a big, big move up to the top of the second round. But they didn't have much draft capital due to the Sam Darnold trade. And we, I, I remember I was watching it and thinking to myself, I wonder who they want. Like, what's the, you know, what was the player that they're trying to come so far up for? And if you believe what's been out there since, I think it was Pro Football Talk reported it, 
it was to get McCall Hardman all the way. They were going to give up major future draft assets to try to get to the top of the second round. So while I thought the Chiefs might have invested a little bit earlier, I thought maybe he was going to go more mid-third round, it does sound like the NFL might have been higher on his skill set than I even had him pre-draft. I had him like nine, and that was pretty high you know, in our little community that we have you know, in terms of people talking about wide receivers before the draft. But that really piqued my interest in terms of the Jets were contemplating moving all the way up and giving up a potential future first-round pick or multiple future picks next year to try to get to the top of the second round. And apparently he was the, the possibility of why. Yeah, don't know I if it's true, but that intrigues me also nonetheless. Yeah, I was listening to Stick to Football today, and Matt Miller mentioned that you know, when the Chiefs drafted Miko Hardman, a lot of NFL teams were definitely let down because he said there is multiple teams that he heard from that thinks Miko Hardman is a superstar in this league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the NFL definitely feels differently. Shane, all out or uh, no interest at all or definitely not at 1.09? At 1.09, I'm probably just going to go for a different guy that hasn't gone off the board yet, so I don't want to bring him up. But if I'm taking a shot on someone, it's going to be a, a different guy. Different gotcha. guy. So, so Tyler, why don't we keep this going? You're up at 1.10, and uh, let's go. Yeah, and I think I know exactly what player Shane is actually talking about. And I'm going to go with that player, and it's going to be DK Metcalf. And I would take my shot at DK, and I just think he fits that Seattle system perfectly. In my mind, when I, when DK got drafted, I'm like, okay, I'm imagining this this Russell Wilson guy running around the backfield, like trying to survive his, for his life. And you got this big guy that can run fast and do everything Russell Wilson needs out of a receiver. And I mean, DK could have 60 catches, but could he have 1100 yards and 10 to 12 touchdowns? Yeah. Just because Russell Wilson is that, that guy that just likes to throw the ball up in the air and let his receivers get it. We saw it with Lockett. We saw it with Baldwin. And with the news with Baldwin not possibly not even being there anymore, DK could be fantasy relevant year one. So if I'm going to take a shot on a receiver, I'm going to take a shot on a 6'4", 230-pound, 4'3", 40-time receiver that has had pedigree throughout the year. I know Miko Hardman did, but, I mean, DK, even in college – you saw highlight after highlight, and I'm going to take my chances on on that on a team that seems like he just is going to be great with. And I, I don't know. There's, there's something about the Seattle landing spot that makes me absolutely love DK Metcalf. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's attached himself to Russell Wilson. He has it's probably got as high a ceiling of any prospect in this entire class. I think his floor is probably equally low as well, but he's got that massive upside. I'll say this about him. I think I think by the time drafts roll around for people who draft in August, I think Hardman and Metcalf are two guys. All it's gonna take is one play. Russell Wilson oh, yeah. Russell Wilson connects to DK Metcalf on one eighty yard bomb or Patrick Mahomes connects on one eighty yard bomb to McCall Hardman. Their ADPs, if people haven't had their rookie drafts yet, are gonna change because that is kind of, you know, what the teams are investing in. They they Chiefs wanted uh, Hardman to be that big play threat. 
I think Seahawks want that. Seahawks aren't going to ask him to be this refined route runner. They Ole Miss didn't ask him to do that against, you know, very inferior defensive backs. So I think they're going to ask him to do what he does. Russell Wilson is a great deep ball thrower, one of the best in the NFL when you combine like arm strength and uh, the velocity, but touch also and accuracy. So I think it's an ideal landing spot for DK Metcalf, even though it's a, you know, run first offense technically. Obviously, the, the the terrible news about Doug Baldwin probably having to retire opens things up there for they only really have Tyler Lockett. They don't have much else in the passing game. So DK Metcalf is probably going to push his way onto the field and be in a pretty big role. So I'm, in, I'm excited about him and intrigued. Shane, was he the guy you were talking about that you would have pivoted to? Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go. And Tyler being Tyler had to snipe me. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything he just said, I mean... Look, Russ, Russ Wilson's a great quarterback. He seems to always get undervalued in Dynasty because they only let him throw the ball, you know, 30 times a game if he's lucky. Um, That's like double what he throws. (laughs) But uh, I just, I kind of want their running game to just fall apart and just let him just throw all day to to, to Metcalf and, yeah, I guess Lockett too, whatever. But really, Metcalf, like, because like you were saying, he could have 60 receptions for a thousand yards. And just, he's just a monster. He is that physical freak. And, but he is that guy that has that floor of 30 receptions for 340 yards. And he's out of the league in three years, but at 110, I'm more than okay with taking him there because I, I'd rather shoot high than shooting for, you know, the upside of average, um, his upside's the top five wide receiver in the league. If he learns how to run routes a little better, stays healthy, um, the dude's just a monster. I don't know what else you could say about him. You you did all you did it all very well, Tyler. Very that, that's a great name, by the way. Upside of average. That it seems like a great fantasy football <laughs> team name. I I'm gonna I need to write that down somewhere because I love it. <laughs> uh, Shane, you're on the clock 1.11. So DK got sniped from you. Is there a backup plan? <laughs> there is a backup plan. Um, Paris Campbell. Um. I mean, this is where we wanted A.J. Brown to land, um, and he didn't. So that kind of sucks. But, you know, you move on, and what you do is you take what's going to be Andrew Luck's second wide receiver. The guy is just a a burner and a half. I mean, he ran a 4-3-1 in the 40, which is apparently as fast as you can go, um, according to player profile. Profiler? Um, He's just, you know, he didn't have a lot of college production, um, but he did have good production with one year with Haskins. Um, so it's going to be, you know, Andrew Luck is, I, I think I'll go out on a limb and say probably a better quarterback than Haskins. Um, and Frank Reich's an excellent head coach. So I think, you know, an offensive mind, he's he's going to find ways to use that kid. Um, and I could see him putting up just very good numbers in his rookie season. And as long as he's tethered there to Andrew Luck, as long as the shoulder's right, and maybe taking over for T.Y. Hilton when T.Y. Hilton rides off into the sunset in three more years. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think Campbell's a, a good pick here. If I was on the clock, there was a couple guys that, I, and I'm on the clock now. There's a couple people that would have been in play there. I love. I think Campbell's didn't get the credit he deserved in the pre-draft process. To be honest with you, I think people were trying to pigeonhole him as just another gadget slot guy. I think Campbell is a much more skilled prospect than, than his former teammate, Curtis Samuel. Uh, 
Curtis Samuel is more of a guy that it's a little bit more of a gadget. You had to manufacture touches. I think Campbell's a better route runner than people give him credit for. And he's got, he's got some size and to his frame too, for, for a player that runs as fast as he does. You know, he's not a 170 type guy. Like he's, I think like 205 or something. So he's a little bit different player. He's not the body type of just that straight burner that we sometimes see, like, you know, Nelson from, you know, the Cardinals back in the day and, and stuff like that. So I think it's intriguing. I think he can win at all three levels of the field. I don't buy the stuff that he can't win vertically down the field. I just don't think that was Dwayne Haskins calling cards. So Ohio State just didn't need to do it. You know, they were, they were able to dominate without throwing the ball, you know, more than 25 yards. So I'm not concerned with that. Tyler, before I get my pick, would Campbell have been your next wide receiver on the board? Because for me, there's one other guy that I keep flip-flopping with, uh, so Campbell probably wouldn't have been the my wide receiver I would have picked, but it's Campbell would have, would Campbell have been your wide receiver? Yes, he he definitely would have been. Love the landing spot. I think him and Ty Hilton can actually play very well together. Hilton still has that down the field speed, and Paris Campbell's the the run after the catch type guy. So yeah, I I think he could have a great year one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think he can see with the attention that the, uh, Ebron's going to get because of last year and Hilton. I And that offensive line is just a juggernaut, so they're going to have a strong run game as well. There's going to be a lot of open field and open space for Paris Campbell. So I'm on the clock at 1.12 to close out round one. And even in a one-quarterback league, I'm seeing Kyler Murray sitting out there, and I think there's too much value for him, I think he might even go higher than this in one quarterback leagues. Obviously, the consensus 1.01 pick in Superflex or two quarterback leagues. With that running ability, with that, if you look at Kyler Murray and you envision top five, top six quarterback in fantasy, then he should be going off the board by now. He should be a pick and worthy of being a pick in round one. I know quarterbacks just don't have a lot of value in one quarterback leagues, but I think with the rare rushing ability on top of his passing ability on top of now the Cliff Kingsbury offense that he's bringing to the NFL. I don't know if they're going to be able to stop anybody. I don't know if they're they're going to be able to protect their quarterback, but he's going to be running around picking up yards with his legs and they drafted four, three or four wide receivers. So I think he's going to put up fantasy stats sooner rather than later I think we can probably, I think we have the possibility of seeing as good a rookie year quarterback fantasy production than maybe we've seen, you know, in the last decade or two. Like, I, I do think Kyler Murray has a legitimate chance this year to be a QB1 because of that rushing upside and the scheme that they're going to play in and a very average defense. So I'm intrigued by Murray. At this point, I like the I like the value I get with him. Thoughts on Murray, guys? In a one quarterback, do you think he deserves to go in round one, or do you still think he should be pushed down the board like so often rookie quarterbacks do in these settings? So real quick, just Tyler brought up pigs earlier, um, pigs league that we're in. I bid out of, uh, I think, 950 rookie dollars, and it's a super flex, so obviously it, it, that colors it. I, I won uh, Murray with a $638 bid. Um, yeah, he's ridiculous. I'm drafting. I, I, I have no problem with him going in the first round whatsoever. We did a mock draft in DFF. He went off the board at 108. 
And I'm used to always yelling at people in one quarterback leagues, like, what are you doing? You don't draft a quarterback until till the 17th round of a rookie draft, you know, whatever nonsense in a one quarterback. But yeah, the, I mean, I, I forget who said it. Someone said basically, you know, he's as good as runner that's ever probably played in the NFL or will play in the NFL. And he's probably going to be one of the best throwers in the NFL too. Like that combination hasn't existed before. We've had Michael Vick, but then he couldn't really throw. He was not accurate at all. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> I was trying to be nice. I mean, like he just wasn't a consistent passer. Like, yes, he could throw the ball 140 yards. It's just no one would be around. Um, People were excited about Lamar Jackson last year. And, and I'm, and I'm and still the arm, Yeah. And the arm talent and, the, and stuff. And listen, I own Lamar Jackson a couple places, and I think he will show growth and improvement a little bit this year. But if people were excited about Lamar Jackson last year, they need to be through yeah. the roof about Kyler Murray because the running component is is identical, if you wanted to say that. But the in terms of how more much more advanced Kyler Murray is and how much more accurate in terms of passing, it's leaps and bounds between those two. So people should be excited about yeah. Lamar Jackson, but people should be beyond excited about Kyler Murray. And I mean the weapons you were talking about, the weapons that he has. He already had Christian Kirk. He's got, you know, Grandpa Fitzgerald there to help him along. Added Andy Isabella. I think they added Hakeem Butler in the fourth round. And then Keyshawn um, Johnson in the sixth. Keyshawn so. Johnson. Uh, even their last pick of the Caleb draft. Wilson. Hazel yep. Wilson. Like just there's – I mean, yeah, obviously they're unproven. They're rookies. But they just ha- – they can beat you on all levels of the field right now if it works properly. Like they have a guy that's six foot four that can run faster than – I mean, he runs like a four, his speed score is like in the 100 percentile. Um, then you have Andy Isabella, who's also blazingly fast, but can also play out of the slot, can run intermediate routes. Same as Kirk. And they have an offensive coach there that's, you know, air raid. And he's not a good head coach, but he's a hell of an offensive coach. So, yeah, I think Mary, I agree with you completely. I ex- fully expect Mary to be a top five quarterback this year. If he's not, I- I'll be actually pretty shocked yeah i think that the upside is through the roof so let's let's pivot to round two but let's do this a little bit differently obviously round one took a little bit longer but i thought the discussion was excellent and i do think there needs to be discussion with with this round one because there's not this lock certainty if there was we would have been able to rattle through that much quicker without much discussion so how about make the pick a sentence or a short explanation, quick hitter style of why he's your pick. And then we'll go right to the next pick. And then maybe after the, after half the round, we'll do like a consensus. If there's anything else that stood out that anybody wants to chime in on. And then we'll do the same thing for the last six picks in this round. So Tyler, kick it off at 2.01. I just want to say, I'm very excited to snipe Shane on this pick. Uh, I'm going to take JJ Arcega Whiteside, who is literally the spitting image of Elshon Jeffrey. Elshon Jeffrey has never, ever had the the bill of health. So I honestly expect Arcega Whiteside to kind of fill in for him every often. And, you know, he's 30 years old. Jeffrey gets hurt. Arcega Whiteside slides right in and is the same production, maybe even more because of the talent is probably equal with Jeffrey, I feel at the moment and he's only going to get better. So I think our Sega Whiteside is a steal here is my ninth overall rookie at the moment. And I love the landing spot. Yeah. Great landing spot clone to Alshon Jeffrey. Like you just talked about Shane 
Oh, Tyler screwed me yet again. <laughs> um, all right, real quick, just went between two players here, but I'm going to take Andy Isabella, the, the draft capital, um, the offense that he's tied to, the quarterback he's tied to, the college production, the physical profile. There's just, I mean, uh, the only thing that you could dislike is that he played at UMass. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm expecting him to be a very good wide receiver in the league for many years. Yeah, and I think people are understanding that he can just play inside. I think he's very much an outside receiver with the capabilities of playing inside. So a lot of versatility there. At 2.03, I'm selecting Marquise Hollywood-Brown. Obviously has the draft capital as the first wide receiver taken in round one. Landing spot, very suspect there with Baltimore. But like we were just talking about, I'm expecting some growth and development from Lamar Jackson this year. I'm expecting a different offense. They're not going to come out and run Lamar Jackson 25 times this year with how much focus will continue to be on the defense. I mean, sorry, be on the run game. And and if that would be the focus of the defense trying to stop the run game, I think I'd be surprised if once or twice a game, Marquise Brown didn't get over the top for a big play. So he's going to be a little bit feast or famine. He's not going to be the most consistent fantasy player, but where we are in the second round, I'll take the upside. I love Marquise Brown before the draft happened. He was my number two wide receiver. I think he's a much better route runner than people give him credit for. He's more than just a vertical threat. He can be a weapon even in the short to intermediate game on slants, screens, you know, uh, drag routes. So I like Marquise Brown, the player. Don't love the landing spot, but you know, this is another bet on talent. And I didn't even have to bet on talent in the first round. So I think this is good value there. So Tyler, 2.04. Er uh, Smith. And I just think he up here in Minnesota, I snipe Shane again, uh, up here in Minnesota, Rudolph will probably be out the door. He'll either be working in malls during Christmas time, or he'll be signing with the Patriots after they, they cut him or trade him to the Patriots. Because I just think that is a, is a good marriage Rudolph going to the Patriots, but Irv Smith going into, to a team where Kirk cousins is a quarterback. Kirk cousins loves Jordan Reed. Irv Smith reminds me a ton of Jordan Reed. They fit perfectly together. I don't think they're going to ask Irv to block much, but they are going to use him in the slot where they do not actually have a third receiver. So Irv Smith will actually act as that third receiver. Treadwell didn't really pan out. I know they they just drafted another receiver out of Oregon this year, and they have Chad Bebe, who is the son of a former NFL player. But Irv Smith is the third quote-unquote wide receiver tight end target that they will use. And I think he's going to have some year one production as well. I love Irv Smith up here in Minnesota. It could be a little home bias, but give me Irv Smith here. Yeah, I love Irv Smith. I think if they move on from Rudolph, he's not that far behind the other tight ends, to be honest with you. I think he's the most pro-ready and most advanced route runner from the trio. Shane, you're on the clock, 2.05. All right, I'm going back and forth, and I'm going to take a risk here, and I'm going to go ahead and grab Devin Singletary with the expectation that he's going to be the starting Buffalo running back by about week four when every other running back in front of him um, has to be put in a nursing home. He evaporates. Uh, <laughs> it just all turned to dust. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of chatter, and it, I don't know where it's coming from. That just the Bills – Apparently, just don't want Shady on that team. Um, but I don't He's think they want to, Avengers. I don't. Like, well, there's that. I don't think they <laughs> want to eat any of the money, so they're just kind of keep putting it out there, like that, how much they dislike him. 
Um, I could have went a safer way. I didn't. I'm going to go Singletary. He didn't get enough passing work in college. For whatever reason, it decreased every year in college. Um, but I, I, I like Singletary, um, and he was actually comp to Shady um, a few times that I've seen. So I'll, I'll take Singletary. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a thought on Singletary in a second, but let me round off the, the half point here of round two. 2.06, I'm taking Hakeem Butler. Don't love that he doesn't have better draft capital attached to him. Don't love the fact that the Cardinals – invested in Andy Isabella a full round plus earlier than him, but they did pick him first pick of day three. They said he was sticking out on their board like a sore thumb that they couldn't pass up that value. He offers a component, a vertical component down the field, but a different type of vertical component than Andy Isabella who wins with his speed. Hakeem Butler has the ability to go up and win at the catch point. He's got a ridiculous length, his ability to high point the ball. He tested out as a great athlete at the combine. He's got some drop issues that he's got to clean up. I think it was Sig Bloom who's comped him a lot to Plaxico Burris. I like that comp a lot. So I think at this point, with so much uncertainty just in general in this draft class, especially in the running backs, you know, no one else really getting excited. I wouldn't really like to draft a guy who went on day three this early in a rookie draft because I do believe draft capital is really important in the NFL and just in terms of the leash and, and how much opportunity you get. But Hakeem Butler, I, I'm a fan of the talent. He was like my number six or number seven wide receiver pre-draft. So, And I like the offense now that he's going into, even though there's a lot of weapons there to be had. So I'm going to gamble on Hakeem Butler. Tyler, Anything stand out for you besides your two picks, obviously? Anything stand out about the first half here of round two that you found interesting, intriguing, would have went in a completely different direction? Like anything, anything pop out at you? Uh, no, but the, the JJ Arcega Whiteside pick and the Earth Smith pick are spot on. Great picks. <laughs> I think whoever did that did a great job. But, uh, Honestly, Singletary is a guy I'm I'm starting to come around on. The more and more I think about it, Shane hit it right on the head, and it's just like, what is there there? And I get he's a small guy, but you go watch his tape. That dude is tough, and he is a Buffalo-style player to the T. He's going to learn from Shady if he's even there, but I think he could just go in and be better than Shady at the moment because Shady, the talent kind of fell apart. I don't think Shady is who he is. And Singletary, that is who a lot of people, you know, watching the tape, a lot of people are like, hey, he cuts like Shady. He's got some just nasty, nasty agility. And, I mean, he could just step right in. Yeah, Shane, before I come to you for for your take on that first half of this round, I said I mentioned before I had, a, I had a thought on Singletary. And here's my thing. I like the player. He was like my number seven running back. I mean, his combine was borderline a train wreck for a guy yeah. that we thought was going to test well. Here's my concern. This goes back to what I, I was kind of talking a little bit about Debo Samuel before. Running backs are, are, are one of those positions that, you know, there were big fans, people of Wayne Gallman a couple of years ago. And then, and, you know, and if you go before back, I, I can't tell you how many leagues I traded for Trey Mason in, you know, in March. And then in late April, the Rams drafted Todd Gurley. And that was the end of Trey Mason's literal career. We never basically <laughs> heard from him again. Well, we did in the news. Yeah. In the news. For, <laughs> I guess he was so distraught about the Todd Gurley draft pick. He decided he was just going to throw away his entire life. But 
I worry with Devin Singletary. I love that he had third round draft capital because I do usually think that guys in the top three rounds get an opportunity. But Singletary, my biggest concern is the Bills. I think next year, I could, I would not be surprised to see them invest high in a first round or early second round running back to kind of be like, okay, we need a total package, three down impact runner to kind of help Josh Allen, help this offense be tough nose, you know. But Singletary, while very tough for a guy who's five foot six. He doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield, which is a concern because you look at a guy that size, you would think he'd be a great receiving back. He doesn't have that breakaway speed. And I don't know if he's bigger. I know he's physical, but I don't know the size and frame. Is that going to limit him being the goal line runner as well? So if he's not catching passes and he's not the goal line runner and they could invest another pick early next year, where even if they don't invest another pick early next year, I sometimes struggle with, what type of fantasy production could potentially be there if he's just an early down runner here or there and not catching those passes? That's my one concern. The vision is great. The cutting ability is great. They only have a couple dinosaurs in Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy there. And then uh, they did sign TJ Yeldon, who maybe on paper now is, is the most talented running back there. You know, he, he never really got it. He was another guy that people were high on when they first drafted him. And then they took Leonard Fournette a couple years, you know, one or two years later. And that kind of pushed Yeldon to the backside. So that's my one thought on Singletary of, is he the guy for the long term? there? I'm not sold on it based on his overall talent level. Shane, anything stand out in the top six picks here of round two? Well, you know, it's funny as you're talking about this um, and, that, and you know, those thoughts went through my head with Singletary. Like this is the type of guy that could be re- replaced immediately next year um, with that draft. But that's you know, every other running back guys. left. So, you know, well, that's, the, that's the scenario you're in here. Yeah. But what that does do, and usually, like you were saying, Butler's a day three guy. Usually you don't want to touch a day three wide receiver because the hit rates, it's it's minimal. It's going to be bad. Well, guess what? If you were ever going to do it, this is the draft class to do it because the running backs after the first three, their situations just, there's no good situations. None of them ended up anywhere where you're like, Oh no, no, that's his job. He's going to run away with it. And every one of them is in the situation where they could be replaced next year. So this would be the one year I would say I would definitely advocate just in general. If you like a day three wide receiver, in the second round, go for it. Or if you know what, you want to draft Dwayne Haskins in the second round of a, a draft or even Daniel Jones. Um, not in the first round, though, because he's not a first <laughs> round talent. But if you want to draft Daniel Jones, you know what, go for it. This is this is the year you do not have to paint by numbers because it's just not a typical draft class. It's just not. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on there. So, Tyler, why don't you kick off the second half of round two here at 2.07? So I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, Daryl Henderson in this pick, and it's all because of what an outstanding offense in the Rams did to to get him, and they traded up. They got a lot of good capital to go up and get Henderson. I I have a couple Gurley shares that I was a, I was a little panicked on, and here's the panic: Gurley can get cut at the end of 2020, and I don't think he's got much dead cap left. By then, they probably are going to have to resign Goff to a big and major deal if they want to, and they have hardly any cap at the moment. Like they are very cap strung at the moment already, so they're going to have to find some money somewhere. I, maybe Robert Woods is gone, 
Uh, maybe Brandon Cooks isn't panning out like they wanted to, but my guess is it's Gurley. And in that offense, I think Henderson can be a very good running back for what they need in a high-powered offense. And I still think they're going to use it. They're going to use him in the first couple of years before he becomes possibly a starting running back for the Rams. I think they'll use him in the Tevin Coleman like role. Well, you know, Gurley's the Devonta Freeman, the guy who gets 15, 20 touches a game. Well, Henderson and the Coleman role gets 10, 10 or so, 10, 12, and he's more of the explosive player. So I, I've come around on Henderson in the Rams. Like, like we've talked about, I wasn't big on the tape. I thought he reminded me a lot of Tev Coleman. But the more I look at the situation and the team he is on and the explosiveness of the offense, I'm in this rookie draft class, I think this is a perfect spot in a situation where you can have a major upside in a couple of years for an, an RB high in RB two, low in RB one. Yeah, I mean I if if Todd Gurley is is dinged up permanently if he's a becomes a 12 13 touch guy or or worse this is a, this is the steal of the draft he belongs in the top four top five so i think the value is tremendous so shane take it away with 2.08 yeah i'm just gonna get in draft Julian haskins here um starting quarterback you know top 15 i wish he would have a little earlier it would have felt better if the redskins moved up to, to snag him <clears throat> you know like to make sure they got him, but whatever. He fell to them at 15. I mean, the guy, you know, he completed 70% of his passes in his, his one season, 50 touchdowns. It's hard to find a lot of fault with him. Um, his wide receiver core is pretty awful. Um, I think it's probably up there for one of the worst in the league. Um, but I'm going to trust Jay Gruden because he's produced, you know, productive quarterbacks in the past, even later round draft picks like Kirk Cousins. Cause you know, we all remember that RG three was actually the guy that was supposed to be the stud there. Um, so I'm gonna go with Haskins. Look, starting quarterbacks, he could last me for 10 years. I'll never have to worry about it. And it's a weak class. I, I typically wouldn't touch quarterbacks this early, but just looking at what's on the board, I'm actually thinking I should have went another way, but I'm going to stay with this uh, Dwayne Haskins pick. Yeah, I mean, I think the value is is right where it is. And on my overall big board, this is right where Dwayne Haskins uh, would come off the board for me. At 2.09, I'm going to take Justice Hill. I'm going to go back to the running back well here. And I like Justice Hill's skill set. He was probably my seventh or eighth running back pre-draft. A lot of explosiveness. If there's a guy, obviously he's not, wouldn't be coming from as far as what Philip Lindsay did last year. But if there is a Philip Lindsay type, I could see it being a Justice Hill type player here where his talent and skill set just kind of outshines Mark Ingram. I know Mark Ingram's still going to have a role there. They're going to run the ball a lot. He's going to be that physical, tough runner, the guy you're going to see near the goal line. But I think Justice Hill's an explosive player. And you put him back there with Lamar and they're running options and stuff like that. You get Justice Hill out in space. He's he's a home run threat waiting to happen. He's got like four four one speed or something like that. Uh, I think he's better in the the passing game than we even saw in college. So I like his you know early fourth round. It's not terrible. You know we're not you know 
not a lot of running backs go, you know, in the first three rounds. So I'll take the draft capital of an, of an early fourth round pick plus the athleticism and explosiveness and a, and a heavy run offense team that obviously wanted to add a lot of playmaking explosiveness with Marquise Brown, Justice Hill, and, you know, and wide receiver Miles Boykin, who may or may not come off the board here late in this round for us. So Tyler, you're on the clock at 2.10. This I have. I have probably have about four players I like, and I'm going to go with the one that pre-draft I absolutely loved, and that's Damian Harris. I think he landed in a great spot with the Patriots. Shane's shaking his head again. I hope I sniped him again. <laughs> and I, I think this says a lot about kind of what the Patriots want to do with offense. They drafted a lot of guys in the trenches. They, they drafted Harris, who is just a, a very – a very safe player when he's on the field. He's, he hasn't fumbled in his college. So I think he's a guy that can can step right in for when Sony Michelle gets hurt. And notice how I said when, because I feel like we all know it's going to happen with with uh, what did uh, my, my co-host Doug say? It is the JJ knee. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all one word. But I just... I think the fact that they took him in the third round says a lot about this offense. And I think he is a guy that could actually steal some goal line carries from Sony and be productive year one and has the upside of being that, that goal line back the, the power runner in that offense with James white, if Sony Michelle gets injured. So I'm, I'm going to go for that, that upside. And I love the player pre-draft. So I'm happy to get him here. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Real quick, I know I wasn't going to stop in. Is there any other running back on your guys' board? Because to me, we just hit the seven. And to me, it's it's a cliff cliff after those seven of guys that I really want to invest in. Is there anybody else that you think – anybody thinks there's anybody else that warrants a second-round pick? One. One. Maybe Travion Williams, just if I'm a Joe Mixon owner and the off chance, something happens there. That's all I got. And Tyler? Alexander Madison, just because of the injury to Dalvin. And and I think he's an upgrade over Latavius, and Latavius got play even when Delvin was, was healthy. So I I could see them having a good timeshare there, more tilted towards Cook just to keep him healthy. But Madison, like I said on our podcast, he, he, if you had Latavius Murray and Delvin Cook make a baby, it's it's Alexander Madison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, Madison's next on on the board for me there. Uh I love Travion Williams pre-draft, but uh I also loved Rodney Anderson and they're both there and they were both like six round picks. I thought they was were tremendous value, but I also think talent-wise on the football field, Joe Mixon's in the top 5 to 6 most talented running back. So, not ideal landing spots. Madison's intriguing because of Dalvin Cook's injury concern. Uh I think you could throw somebody like Raquel Armstead with Leonard Fournette and it's unknown, but I, I, I think I'd probably pivot to other positions for a couple picks from where we are down now that Damian Harris is off the board. So Shane, last pick in the night for you, 2.11, where are you going? I'm, I'm going to take uh, let me check the board. No. And this is the guy that, as I thought about it, I should have taken at the last pick, but he fell to me. So it's great. Miles Boykin. Um, I, his combine was insane and that's mm-hmm. and his draft capital was pretty good. I mean, he sucked at Notre Dame, but so did every wide receiver. I mean, so 
you know, I'm hoping he'll do better than uh, ESB did last year. And I, he almost has to because of the, the target opportunity was that that's there, even with the low volume, you know, passing that they had, they still have over 190 targets available just from Crabtree and uh, John Brown leaving. Um, the guy's a, just a, another guy that's a physical freak. I, I hate this because these are guys I always fall in love with and they always burn me. These guys that are just built like, monster humans but you know i like i said he's just the physical talents there he had a great combine the draft capitals there and in this draft he's the best on the board for me yeah i mean listen i think i think this is the area i have him with two other wide receivers kind of jumbled together here uh been moving him a lot in the in you know since the draft and everything Boykin is, is probably two spots down from the other two wide receivers uh the wide, the one I'm going to pick right here so to round it out at 2.12 I'm going to take Deontay Johnson who was drafted by the Steelers they say again believe what we want post draft uh but maybe they're just kind of making him sound better than he is. But he was a surprise third-round pick. I think in the NFL circles, they saw him as a third-round guy. But I think the media, I know I liked him, but I saw him as like an early date for really like a round four guy. But they said they had a round one grade on him. So, you know, I guess we can believe whatever we want to believe. But I, it's more I like the player. Pittsburgh tends to hit on wide receivers, especially when they take him, you know, in that, you know, round two, three, four range. And there's a gaping hole there with Antonio Brown gone. You know, James Washington, who I was a fan of last year, has to show the ability to grow and develop into a player. But they lost Le'Veon Bell's, per, you know, production. That's not coming back this year. So, you know, not only now is it, you know, they're not getting the running back production that they used to get, not last year, obviously, but prior to that, they lost Antonio Brown. So I think there's a big opening there for someone to emerge. I love Juju Smith. I do have some hesitation that he might not live up to the beyond lofty expectations people are putting on him now that he's the guy and the focal point. But I love him still. I just not as high as some in the dynasty community on him as, as, as putting him maybe as the wide receiver one or two or three. But I like Deontay Johnson. I like the athleticism, the speed, the separation quickness, the agility, the elusiveness after the catch. To me, he's a big-time playmaker, and he can play inside or play outside. So I like him here. He's another high upside pick, but he's got some draft capital attached to him, so I like that. If it wasn't him, you mentioned Boykin, you took in the last pick. The other guy I would have thought of was Terry McLaurin, because I think Washington's uh, wire receiving corpse is very up for grabs. He uh, Terry McLaurin reminds me a lot of Golden Tate. He Obviously, the comfort level with Dwayne Haskins is going to be seamless, so I think he makes for an intriguing pick right here, but I would take Johnson just with the overall upside uh, over McLaurin. And McLaurin would be my next guy, so there's our draft, guys. Real quick, round the horn, Tyler, if you were making one or two more picks, who would be the top two, one or two guys you were targeting left on your board? So uh, I was actually thinking about this pick. Foster Moreau, I think he's going to be a starter in Oakland, and I love his athleticism. I thought he was underused in UCLA, and I I love this tape. I think this guy is is probably a poor man, CJ Hawkinson. Like He can do everything. He's a great blocker. And he has very dependable hands. He catches the ball very well. I think he's going to be a starter day one. 
And I think he's going to be one of those shocker tight ends where people are going to start 2020 sleepers for tight ends. It's going to be him. Yeah, Moreau's got a lot of untapped potential there and upside that he didn't get a chance to show his receiving ability. So interesting pick. Really interesting you mentioned him over the other tight ends because I could totally see somebody having Sternberger, Knox, Waring, who I'm intrigued by all of those guys, to be honest with you. I think that if we if we stretched this out for the whole third round, I think there would be a run on tight ends in that round just based on value and, and opportunity and draft capital. Shane, one or two names that are sticking out that you would still be intrigued by if we were going further? Yeah, I actually grabbed Waring and Knox back to back in one of our drafts that myself and Tyler are in. Um, same reasons. Um, I guess, honestly, Travion Williams, like I said, just because um, I believe he could step in and be a full time player if Mixon were to go down, who's had some injury history. I do still like Raquel Armstead. He's another guy that. I'd probably look to, and if I'm looking at wide receiver and just the the same concept where Washington's wide receiver core is a mess, I I grab Kelvin Harmon. Um, I know there's lots of questions about him, which is why he was a six round draft pick and there's about a 10% chance he hits, but I'll take that chance, you know? Yeah. I mean, can can I give one more? Yeah. Drew Locke for sure. I, I, yeah, I just I, I want to be honest with you. I think Locke is going to have a better career than Haskins. Haskins yeah. could have that Josh Rosen hate after year one because we all know how bad the media is in Washington when they're not doing so hot. So I, I just think Haskins with the weapons that he has might struggle. I, I, love, I love Scary Terry. I think he's great. I don't think he's an ultra-talented guy. Jordan Reed is always hurt. I hopefully Darius Geis is back, but Haskins is going to struggle. I think Locke has the best chance to succeed over Haskins just because they have good weapons. He's going to grow with Fant. He's going to be able to sit for about eight games until Flacco shows he's not elite anymore and people actually believe it. So, yeah, I love Drew Locke. Yeah, I mean, listen, the upside there is tremendous. So, Guys, this was an, a great exercise going through discussing these 24 prospects and, and a whole bunch more names. And if you're listening and you're writing things down, I mean, we basically just outlined who would be a lot of the guys that would come off the board in round three. You'd see a whole bunch of those tight ends, Sternberger, Knox, Waring, maybe even Josh Oliver, Tyler mentioned Foster Moreau. So you have five tight end names right there, the next wide receivers. You know, I mentioned Terry McLaurin. I would throw Riley Ridley in the mix, who was a fourth round pick. You have Calvin Harmon, who I love the talent, was my number three wide receiver pre-draft. But you have to be realistic. And then guys like Jalen Hurd, third round draft pick, capital there. And then obviously deep guys would be Darius Slayton from the Giants. There's an opening there. Greg Jennings in Seattle. There's an opening there. And then we mentioned some of the running backs. Madison, uh, Raquel Armstead, uh, Tyra Williams, you know, Rodney Anderson. Uh, I'm sorry. Travion Williams, uh, you know, Dexter Williams. So there's, there's a lot of handcuffs there. Benny Snell, those would be the guys that, you know, make up the next two rounds, round three and round four. And then Tyler just mentioned uh, Drew Locke. And then obviously, you know, Daniel Jones would be there in the mix. And those would be the guys that basically make up your round three and your round four. So guys, thank you so much. Uh, I want to go to each of you. Let the listeners know where they can find your work, what your Twitter handle is, uh, what you guys are working on over on your websites and or podcasts. So Tyler, kick it off. Yeah, uh, my Twitter is DHH underscore Tyler. Um, DynastyHappyHour.com 
we actually have public rankings where you can go on and do your own rankings and then compare them to our rankings. It's kind of a new feature we have just just for fun. So you can use during your own startup, you can rank them yourself and then kind of see, oh, okay, that's where the staff has it. That's where they have it. And see how far you are from us. It's kind of just a fun tool to use. And yeah, just podcasts usually drops every Monday morning, Sunday night. So you can start off your week pretty good. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my two co-hosts, Doug and Tim. Without them, I would be trash. So I, those guys carry me. So I give a big shout out to them. Oh, and our substitute co-host, Justin McCaslin, who is great as well. We're lucky to have him. Guys, make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast. You check out their website. Check out the rankings feature thing. Really cool stuff there. Shane, let the audience know where they can find your work, what you're working on, all that fun stuff. Well, now I have to be nice to my co-host because if I don't, it's going to stand in stark contrast <laughs> to freaking Tyler. So, yeah, my co-hosts, uh, Michael Sipes and Jeremy Brown are awesome, and they make me look smart and other things. So, um, And we host the Dynasty Trades HQ, which is you know basically my favorite thing to do in the world. Um, but, yeah, right for Dynasty Football Factory, I'm a – co-owner we got a bunch of stuff going on i can't even focus on most of it because the draft has <laughs> sapped me of my thinking skills but just check out the site we got a bunch of content pump pumping out every day absolutely guys make sure you get over to shane's website download the podcast subscribe and, and check out all that work so guys thank you again so much uh for joining me. This was a blast. I think this is a really intriguing draft class. It's one of those things that's almost like, you know, a month or two from now, you know, it's one of those exercises that almost can be discussed again and and things could legitimately change and the NFL season hadn't even kicked off, but just what we hear over the next couple months, like I said, to start the show, very fluid. uh, So it's something that's going to constantly be changing. So on behalf of Tyler, on behalf of Shane, On behalf of Matt and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.